0: Hello, I'm Sarah. And I'm Joanna.
1: And we are your therapists next door.
0: Join us as we demystify therapy and destigmatize mental health.
1: Every episode, we interview a healthcare professional. It's sometimes serious, sometimes sad, most times ridiculous.
0: This week, we welcome Rujuta Chincholka Mandalia, who works as a mental health therapist.
1: Welcome everyone to Therapists Next Door, the podcast that shows you the human side of your friendly neighborhood healthcare worker. We do this by interviewing a healthcare professional every episode, asking questions that you want the answers to, answering questions you didn't know you had.
0: I'm Joanna, a board certified music therapist and a licensed professional counselor in the state of Pennsylvania. I'm a white cisgendered woman and my pronouns are she, hers, and I just went to my first mineral show today. And I'm Sarah, an LPC.
1: <laughs> and I'm Sarah, an LPC from Pennsylvania, transplant from South Jersey. I am a cis white woman and my pronouns are she, her. And I have a three inch scar around my belly button from a car accident and I was in when I was eight. They called it a seatbelt injury and I still don't know what that means.
0: Whoa.
1: Yikes. I really wanted to respond to the mineral show. One because the mineral show, two because I remembered I was invited to go this morning. <laughs> I was sad. I
0: it's okay. <laughs> I I think my my fun facts are just ones that are going to throw you off. That's like my new. No, fun I. Fact. That's not. I,
1: really I, need like, I need to have a, like a verbal response because both of them <laughs> so far I've just been like Jesus Christ. They've been amazing. Um, yeah, yeah, good stuff.
0: Yeah, I love rocks a lot. Tell us about your collections. Since, since a young age and, um, well, I just got a rock tumbler for Christmas. I guess that's not just, it's like half a year ago. <laughs> um, and it is so much fun. It's a very, I don't want to say boring hobby, but it takes like a month to fully tumble a rock and you check it a week or so. So. It's not a fast paced hobby is what I'll say. Um, and this was my first rock show. I got a fluorescent rock, which is really cool, um, which is like under UV light. It lights up. So it's really exciting. I got So this. that's also
1: you may need for like decorative purses. You may also need to have a UV light on hand to show that that's pretty neat
0: yeah I already bought one it's coming tomorrow I was like maybe I can get one before we record and I can show everybody (laughs) this is a amethyst (sighs) I bought today sorry listeners you cannot see so we have we have something that is purple yes (laughs) I love that that's so neat so
1: what is what is the purpose of the tumbling we know sounds like we know the process but
0: um the tumbling makes them smooth and polished I could have gathered that. Thank you. Thank you for (laughs) explaining. I mean, I could go into a whole other podcast about the intricacies of tumbling. Uh um, (laughs) I'm sure that's in our future. I'm sure we'll have some questions about that. That's fine. All right, cool. Yeah. I'm sorry about
1: your scar. No, it's cool. I barely notice it anymore. It's, it like, so it just is coming for the listeners. It just goes in a straight line down my abdomen and then it it does like a little C shape around my belly button, and then it just keeps going. Um, yeah, I, I I could probably Google what seatbelt injury means, but I don't really care to gain the knowledge because I kind of like that I don't know. I like that hmm. this thing is just kind of a mystery and a part of my body, and it changes and grows with me.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, that's cool.
1: All right, any more banter? It's going to be a million degrees today.
0: Yeah. I mean, I went outside already today, so I'm done. As you can tell, I got a lot of sun. I'm very pale, uh, listeners. And I will be. I will never tan. I will remain. I will remain pale.
1: I like that as we get a little older. Like, I hope that, like, most fair-skinned people are like, okay, I'm going to stop injuring my skin and I'm just going to try to preserve it and repair it after the years of tanning booths or being without sunscreen on beaches for no
0: reason. I honestly don't even think a tanning booth would work on me. That's pretty incredible. You don't burn at all? Oh, I, I burn. burn. Okay. So, oh, like it would tan and then it would burn you. It just burns back to white, I think. Nice. <laughs> Sounds like a Screamo album. <laughs> there was one summer once in high school that my legs, I feel like, got a nice little glow on them. Once. It's, it's memorable. Yeah. <laughs> it's memorable.
1: perfect all right do we have any housekeeping I I, go ahead I do have one thing
0: (laughs) I do also have one thing already from our first episode I was like oops um I have never seen an episode of Lucifer (laughs) I'm so sorry I thought you were talking about the show Evil
1: (laughs) Um, oh that was really good we yeah yeah that that's a great show no Lucifer (laughs) is Made, I was going to talk to you about it later I'm glad that you told me <laughs> I would have been like what are you talking about I've never seen this so for the listeners our last during our last episode we were talking about things we were looking forward to in guilty pleasures and I said I can't watch, wait to watch the new season of Lucifer and Joanna enthusiastically chimed in oh that's coming out <laughs> and now I know <laughs> she doesn't she didn't mean the show that I meant and that's fine that's fine keep watching it by myself maybe
0: i'll watch it after I'm, i have like 20 more seasons of survivor to watch and then it's, maybe it, I'll it, yeah
1: the first season is is fox and then the rest of the seasons transition from fox into netflix so they're a little more palatable but it's funny yeah. uh my housekeeping tidbit is that make like a tree and leaf is from <laughs> back to the future Two, not back to the future <laughs>
0: Oh, I also <laughs> I also wanted to say that uh, we actually don't have ads yet so you don't have to join our Patreon to get no ads uh, we're just wishful thinking in that in the future there will be ads and you might want to pay to not have them again that Patreon should be up by the beginning of July okay so most
1: likely a week or two after we post this episode or at the same time we post this episode
0: yes the patrons up now i don't know that oh no no. (laughs) (laughs) the panic in my eyes oh my goodness
1: uh but certainly if you do feel if you would like to support us that would be that would be greatly appreciated Uh, absolutely if you want to just go ahead and do that that can be found on our website yes or
0: at at, uh patreon.com slash tnd podcast it's gonna be some really cool stuff on there i know i'm excited to i'm excited to continue to add to that yeah All right. Lovely.
1: I believe that wraps up our housekeeping. We did a great job having (laughs) having things to contribute for both of
0: us. (laughs) All right. Well, stay tuned for our history lesson after a quick break.
1: Now we move on to our history lesson, which is essentially a narrative we write to describe and give context for the population that our interviewee works for. In this case, our interviewee works with domestic violence and trauma that is a result of domestic violence, as well as a broad range of other other populations. Our sources for today are Herstory of Domestic Violence, a Timeline of the Battered Women's Movement by Safe Network, staff April Howard and Susan Lewis, updated by Tamsin Stevenson and Cindy Love. A Historical Overview of Domestic Violence, written by the Pennsylvania Child Welfare Resource Center. History of Mindfulness from East to West and Religion to, and religion to Science by Joaquin Selva, BCS psychologist. Trigger warning for this narrative. There, there are a lot of details about domestic violence, rape, violence against women and children. Feel free for the listeners to skip 10 minutes ahead if this is not something you're interested in read, listening to right now. As I said previously, we do like to give this narrative just to give context and understanding of how far certain fields have come and how far certain fields do have to go. So with that started, we'll start right at the beginning as far as we can go back on the history of domestic violence laws. In 753 BCE, so that's before Common Era, formerly known as BC, before Christ, thought i needed to explain that because i needed to look that up (laughs) (laughs) during the reign of romulus of rome wife beating is accepted and condoned under the laws of chastisement under these laws the husband has absolute rights to physically discipline his wife since by law a husband is held liable for crimes committed by his wife this law was designed to protect the husband from harm caused by the wife's actions these laws permit the husband to beat his wife with a rod or switch as long as it is, as the circumference is no greater than the girth of the base of the man's right thumb. Hence the rule of thumb. The tradition of these laws is perpetuated in English common law and throughout most of Europe. Keeping in mind, we are talking about something that happened 753 years before... The common era started so we're not just when we talk when we talk about english common law we're talking about something that happens 1400 years later moving on to the middle ages from 900 to 1300 ce common era in europe squires and noblemen beat their wives as regularly as they beat their serfs the peasants faithfully followed their lord's example Feel like i should explain serfdom really quick just when we're talking in old english serfdom was essentially we had one wealthy or several wealthy families protecting an area so if we're thinking of winterfell uh uh what was his name ed stark ned stark was okay please delete both. saying ned Stark. Yeah. eddard and ned <laughs> so I ned think stark. It's both. okay all right okay ed ned stark was he had serfdom over his over the peasants in Winterfell, meaning that they paid him taxes essentially and he offered them protection from the wild, the wild north and the wild south. Obviously, these things are based on history as they actually happened. The church sanctions the subjection of women. Priests advise abused wives to win their husband's good will through increased devotion and obedience. Cool. 1405 CE, Christine de Pizan writes, the book of the city of... About- the book of the city of ladies about women's basic humanity and better education and treatment
0: in marriage for women she accuses men of cruelty and beating their wives i had no idea about that rule of thumb thing and i really want to make sure it's not in my vocabulary anymore yeah 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 big time yeah no that's pretty horrifying
1: and i um i'm fine to take that out of my (laughs) out of my circulation it's And for the listeners, you will be equally horrified to see how long that lasts,
0: how long the rule of thumb lasts. Great. All right. In the (laughs) the 1500 CE, Lord Hale, an English jurist, sets the tradition of non-recognition of marital rape. He states that when women married, they, quote, gave themselves to their husbands in contract and could not withdraw that consent until they divorced. Can I add one note about Lord Hale? I did
1: take out here for for length, which I'm adding to now, that he also burned women at the stake. He was a horrific, horrific human being. If you didn't get that, if you didn't get that from what Joanna just read. Sorry. In
0: 1792, in A Vindication of the Rights of Women, Mary Wollstonecraft seeks changes in the education for women and kinder treatment by husbands and lovers. In 1829, in England, a husband's absolute power of chastisement is abolished. And in 1857, a Massachusetts court is the first to recognize the spousal rape exemption. The court in Commonwealth v. Fogarty relies solely on Lord Hale's statement from the 1500s in recognizing in dictum that marriage to the victim was a defense to rape. In 1871, Alabama is the first state to rescind the legal right of men to beat their wives in Fulgrim v. State. Massachusetts also declares wife beating illegal. In 1874, the finger switch rule is disavowed when the Supreme Court of North Carolina rules that the husband has no right to chastise his wife under any circumstances. In 1905, in Texas, Fraser v. State, a husband, convicted of assault with the intent to commit rape. The appellate court overturns the conviction by essentially restating Lord Hale's rule of immunity from the 1500s. In the 1950s and 1960s, the civil rights, anti-war, and Black liberation movements challenged the country, laying a foundation for the feminist movement.
1: In 1963, Betty Friedan authors The Feminine Mystique. It captures the discontent of a whole generation of middle-class women who are struggling between aspirations for fulfillment and an ideology that assigns them to the home. In 1967, the state of Maine opens one of the first shelters in the United States. In the 1970s, we will not be beaten becomes the mantra of women across the country organizing to end domestic violence a grassroots organizing effort begins, transforming public consciousness and women's lives. In the 1970s, the Richmond, California Police Department is the first in the nation to make domestic crisis intervention training part of its in-service trainings, and is the first to train all of its police officers. In 1971, in Philadelphia, one of the first feminist self-help groups, Women in Transition forms. They provide services for divorced or separated women, battered wives, and single mothers. In 1981, the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Domestic Violence begins holding regional retreats and statewide meetings in order to build support, involve more women, and strengthen support of coalition activities. In 1990, stalking is first identified as a crime. In 1990, ah, shaking my head aggressively. For the first time, judges are required to consider any history of spousal abuse before determining child custody or visitation rights.
0: I will also say that in many parts of the world, the stalking, um, stalking laws are very, very thin or non-existent. Yeah, the fact that
1: ours exist is that that is a good thing. But even our laws are—they do not protect to the greatest ability that <laughs> to the greatest ability that they could. Absolutely not. All right, now moving on. Thankfully, to the history and definition of mindfulness. Mindfulness is the practice of purposefully bringing one's attention to the present moment without judgment, a skill one develops through meditation or other training. Mindfulness derives from sati, a significant element of Buddhist traditions, and based on Zen, Vipassana, and Tibetan meditation techniques. Though definitions and techniques of mindfulness are wide-ranging, Buddhist traditions explain what constitutes mindfulness, such as how past, present, and future moments arise and cease
0: as momentary
1: sense, impressions, and mental phenomena.
0: Mindfulness is a practice involved in various religious and secular traditions, from Hinduism and Buddhism to yoga, and more recently non-religious meditation. People have been practicing mindfulness for thousands of years, whether whether on its own or as a part of a larger tradition. In general, mindfulness was popularized in the East by religious and spiritual institutions, while in the West, its popularity can be traced to particular people and secular institutions. Of course, even the secular tradition of mindfulness in the West owes its roots to the Eastern religions and traditions. Most modern Western practitioners and teachers of mindfulness learned about mindfulness in the Buddhist and Hindu tradition, but this should not be taken as a denial of mindfulness's roots in other religions. Perhaps the biggest influence on bringing mindfulness from the East to the West, at least recently, was Jon Kabat-Zinn. Kabat-Zinn founded the Center for Mindfulness at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and the Oasis Institute for Mindfulness-Based Professional Education and Training. This is where Kabat-Zinn developed his Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction (MBSR) program, an eight-week program aimed at reducing stress. Kabat-Zinn learned about and studied mindfulness under several Buddhist teachers, including Thich Nhat Hanh, an influential and popular figure in Western mindfulness himself. This gave him an Eastern foundation in mindfulness that he integrated with Western science to develop MBSR. This integration with Western science was a crucial aspect in helping mindfulness gain widespread popularity in the West. Join us after the break and we will be
1: speaking to Rujuta Chincholkar Mandalia and her work as a mental health therapist.
0: Welcome back. Rajuto Chincholkar Mandelia is a mental health therapist who works primarily with women and adolescents in her private practice, mindful group practice. She is a trauma-informed mindfulness and self-compassion practitioner. She has done extensive work in trauma, especially in domestic violence. At the Women's Resource Center, she works with women who are going through separation and divorce and have been traumatized in their relationships. She enjoys running, meditating, gardening, and hanging out with her family. Welcome.
2: Thanks, Thank you. Oh, hi. <laughs> oh, hi, Clara. Thank you, Joanna, for that introduction. Welcome. We are so happy to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, it's a pleasure could you tell us a little bit about your work? Sure. Um, so I actually, I I have a private practice called mindful group practice in which I work extensively with um, clients who are going through, you know, sort of depression, anxiety, uh, certain disorders. Um, and then in my other work at the Women's Resource Center I work extensively with women who are going through divorce and separation Um, and I've been actually doing this work for a really long time even before I came into counseling per se so as a professor before um, coming into counseling full-time I was um, assistant director at Temple University's um, gender sexuality and women's studies program. So I did a lot of work um, in my research, looking into domestic violence, um, especially in immigrant communities uh, and specifically with South Asian uh, communities. Uh, And I taught a lot of different courses. I created a course there called um, and I forget the whole title now because it's been a few years, <laughs> but uh, on domestic violence. And I, I, I mean, that course, the first year um, we introduced it, I had, I want to say 18 students, but by the third year, I had a whole wait list. Uh, and they would, you know, the administration would keep sort of extending um, the seats, uh, which told me it was really something that was essential and important. And then in my, you know, full-time in my counseling, private practice, I'm especially interested and I work with a lot of anxiety-based disorders. So that's a little bit about my background, about my work. That's fantastic.
0: Um, how do you feel like the pandemic has affected your
2: day-to-day job? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think because, I think twofold, right? Like one being at home and doing this work has really sort of motivated me to take more self-care in a way because it, it feels like I'm on call 24 7 um in my in my mind uh, technically I'm not but in my mind it feels like that but in a way it has also sort of you know there is more, my, my private practice has grown more and at my you know, at the women's resource center we have more and more clients coming in uh, you know um, in terms of various different issues. but I do see sort of the intensifying of whatever was going on before the pandemic um, that is now sort of affecting a lot of our work. That's pretty, that's, no, that's, that's incredible
1: because you're, you're touching on how, what you already do is, can be unpredictable and how just adding one more thing into the mix is like, okay, well, you know what I've worked with, (laughs) I've worked with unpredictable before I've worked with having to be available at all times before this is just a Mm -hmm. different animal and that's, Yeah, how do you think your personality is represented in your work?
2: That's a tough question because (laughs) I'm not sure, but from what I understand, I think I have always been a calm person and that's kind of what brings me into this work as well. So even though things have sort of intensified because of the pandemic, I think a lot of my personality, which was active, you know, very much in tune with listening with, sort of deep thinking, or, um, you know, calmly being there. Um, I, I I think it sort of came into it naturally, I would say in a lot of ways. Um, other than that, I'm not sure how else my personality sort of has been, you know, uh, represented in a way.
0: It is a really tough question.
1: It is, yeah. but I, I also you answered it really well. You did. And I also know that every time I get off a call with you, Rajuta, I'm like, huh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like, I always feel a little, like, at least a couple, like a little bit of a caliber lower and calmer. It's nice. I completely agree. And if, and if you are just a fraction of the way you are with clients that <laughs> you are when you're talking to Joanna and I rambling on and throwing ideas,
0: <laughs> that's, that's a good fit. <laughs> I do tend to ramble. Probably not a great, uh, <laughs> Probably not a g- great personality trait for a therapist, but I'm no, working. I have worked on it.
1: Yeah, like I get that. Do what you want. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Rajita, what what do you like most about being a therapist, and or like what what is what's a a challenge about being a therapist, and then what's wh- what do you like most about being a therapist?
2: I think most of us come into sort of counseling from a place of empathy, right? We want to be empathetic, we want to be there, we want to be able to help. And I think that's the most difficult part for me is I my modality is more directive and solution based. So I want to see, I want to see them succeed. I I I want to be, you know, like it it becomes at times really challenging for me to hold back. Um and not be impatient with the process. Um, So in in that sort of way or sense, it's really hard for me to watch my clients suffer, although I know that it's that process, right? Um, So that's really the most difficult part for me because I want them to succeed so badly as we all do, right, as mental health therapists. But the joy of watching them through that journey, and almost to me, it's like I'm walking that journey with them. i'm I'm experiencing that journey with them. And as a mindfulness practitioner, although it's it's kind of <laughs> a, it's kind of paradoxical that I'm looking at, you know solution and goal base. But for me, the journey is more important than that. So a lot, a lot of times I'm also sort of struggling with that internally, but I'm also a lot of times enjoying and experiencing that path with them. And most of my clients will tell you my, my, <laughs> my favorite sort of thing to say is, thank you for letting me be on this journey with you, because that is truly something that gives me Immense joy, even the potential of sort of doing that with them just sort of excites me in a way that I think is super existential for me. So, yeah, so that's the way I see this. It's like
1: it sounds like it's like watching something grow, you know, whether it's a child or a plant or just something that you are nurturing and taking care of while. You're distracted by the day-to-day, you can look back and see, look at all of this that has happened. And that's where the skills are learned. That's where that's yeah. where people remember how to use what you're teaching them is in that journey.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, and I hear this from other therapists too, is that, oh, we are in a way reparenting our clients, right? Because we are, hopefully we are engaging them with creating boundaries and you know things like that. To me, in the in my mind, the image that comes up is is of walking together, side by side. And although I'm more directive, I refrain from giving directions. So again, it's it's a struggle that I face constantly as a therapist. Uh, but I'm also beginning to tap into what they need, not just in therapy in general, but also sort of in that session, right? So today they might just need me to sit back and listen to them, totally cool. And the next session, what do you think about it, Ruchita? Or what? And and when they ask me, I know that they're struggling with answers, so. I try to sort of balance that out as well, but mostly I do see myself sort of on this parallel journey with them, um, hopefully holding their hands uh, hand metaphorically.
1: That's beautifully spoken. Thank you. That was just, what nice imagery too. I mean, you're, you are just, you are walking alongside them, but also you're not, they just know that you're there.
2: hmm absolutely, yeah. And if-
0: and I feel like a lot of times when I bring skills to clients, I'm like, this is something that you already know how to do. It's just kind of repackaged in in a way that is easier to use when you're in emotional distress or mm-hmm. when things are really tough.
1: What do you think drew you in to doing what you are doing? You did speak on it a little bit about your work before becoming a therapist, but was there anything else that stands out to you?
2: So... I thought about this question quite a bit because um, if you had asked me this question a few years ago, I would have said, yes, I became a therapist because I wanted to help people, right? Like, But then I sort of went deeper a little bit than that. And what is it that excites me about being a therapist and what brought me here on this journey or on this path? Um, And if you don't mind, I'll sort of go into my childhood (laughs) because I think that's where we all have, right? These huge, yeah. Um, And I will say that a lot of what I bring to therapy and as an individual just sort of growing and hopefully thriving comes from my childhood where I grew up in an extended family in a community where I constantly saw my grandparents and my parents, who were sort of well known in this town, constantly taking care of things, right? And whether as a child I was playing outside, I had a na- you know a, a neighbor's grandmother watch and yell, you know, don't go there, don't do this, so it was such a community-based environment that taught me, A, to be a team player, right? Like everyone has a role. I mean, and those roles can change as you grow and as you, you know, but the nourishment of being together, collaborating, experiencing things with each other, um, I think was the foundation for me for, for this particular thing, well, the rest of the journey into how I came to this is, is pretty, I think, um, it's a long journey because I didn't realize that I came to th- uh, counseling pretty late in my life. Um, but throughout, it was sort of that motivation to, to give back to the community. And so one of the things that my partner and I had been discussing, because we ran here in the US, we ran um, an Indian school for the past seven years, which then we closed last year because of COVID, we couldn't meet. And we, at, at some point, we had 65 kids coming and we talked about mindfulness and we talked about ancient scriptures that are so much rooted in sort of mindfulness and things like that self-compassion. And so because we had to close that, literally a month ago, there was this huge struggle in me. I was like, I need to do something more than what I'm doing. And so we had this long conversation and I realized it was, I need to give back something to my community. And so he and I decided that uh, we would get, you know, invite, not invite, but we asked sort of where we lived in the neighborhood of anyone wanted to send their kids. I have kids between the ages of 11 and 15. So we just kept that as a a age group um, and asked our neighbors if they were interested in sending their kids for just like a conversation on self-compassion and mindfulness every Sunday during the summer. And so we have 12 kids (laughs) who are going to show up. And it's it gave, gave me such I don't know such a basic like fundamental okayness with what I'm doing, uh, and super excited uh, because when I get excited, I do get hyper. It's like all right, I need to make my list. I need to let them know this. This, this right self-compassion practices, but that's that's so to answer your question, it's the community. It's the connection with people, whether it's individual, whether it's sort of few people um, that brought me, I think, into therapy. So beautiful. <laughs> Thank you, I, I, I mean, I, I really mean that.
0: I'm, so. I'm like speechless over here because it's just so beautiful. So,
1: Thank and, that, you. and that's something that our, I mean, American individualism denies us of and I've it's wonderful that you bring that up because (laughs) that is not the exposure that we all that's not what we're exposed to here as often and we don't get it I mean depending what community you're coming from of course I mean there are plenty of communities in the U.S. that do have something similar but once you get once you get more middle class and I don't know like white middle class communities are certainly without that and then going up from there it's that's so cool to hear, and just bringing that, bringing that here and injecting that for youth—that is so incredible. You're you're just kind of like handing the baton off so that they can have similar experiences that you mm-hmm. had. And that's, that's so mm-hmm. kind,
2: among many things. Thank you, thank you.
0: So, what are people's reactions when you tell them what you do for a living?
2: <laughs> so they're funny. Some some are funny. Uh, some are offensive and the ones that I remember are meaningful, you know? That's good. Um, <laughs> so yeah, some of the reactions, and, and it's interesting now that I've been in the profession now for a couple of years, three years. I have people reaching out from, you know, I'm, I'm from India. I grew up in India. So now people are reaching out from India. <laughs> You know, they see like mindful group practice on Facebook and they're like, oh, you're a counselor. All right, you can help me. So that sort of excites me. Other reactions are, what do you do in therapy, right? Like what is therapy? Do you only talk? Do I have to pay you for talking? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, don't pay me. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know. And then um, some, I have, I have had very offensive reactions too, but one of them is, oh, who who is your first, you know, um, client? Uh, Is it your family member or or you grew up? So, I mean, really bizarre sort of reactions, but but I do think more and more now people are beginning to understand uh, what mental health is, um, what our work as mental health therapists entail So a lot of times now, I do get questions about, you know, oh, is it anxiety? Is it depression? So I enjoy those kinds of questions, you know. So yeah,
1: I I definitely feel you on the dehumanizing questions. Yeah, Yeah. speaking to us like we are robots, or that we are trying to. Trying to be sneaky and trick people into into revealing deep dark secrets about themselves, but I
2: yeah, blame the media. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think sorry, go ahead. No,
1: okay. good. Also, I also blame our long history of psychiatry and uh, psychotherapy. <laughs> so yeah. go ahead, Virginia.
2: I I mean I was going to add that like, it's really I think I can say it from my cult sort of culture, South Asian culture, a lot of it has to do with the distrust. And I think a lot of people of color sort of are very distrustful, if you will, of mental health um, sort of issues with history of, you know, like you mentioned, Sarah, with psychiatry and psychology. and, um, And so my community, there is so much stigma around mental health and sort of what we call airing our dirty laundry, right, end quote. So it, it really, I have had to really sort of struggle with that when it came to my community's reaction. Although I will say overwhelmingly, um, a lot of my friends, a lot of my, uh, you know, uh, people that I'm beginning to now get to know because I'm a mental health therapist, they approach me much more easy, easily, because, again, there aren't many mental health therapists who are South Asian. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping in a way that there is sort of that breaking down of stigma in terms of seeking help. Um, and that that was also part of wh- why I want to go back to the community. I want to be able to say, hey, you know, it's okay to say that I'm not you know, I'm experiencing depression. It's okay to say that I have, you know, I'm experiencing anxiety. What do I do about that versus sitting at home and not receiving help because it, the image of this, of my family is going to be a certain way. So there, there are a lot of nuances that then, you know, we have to talk about. Um, and I'm getting honestly more and more referrals from friends in my private practice. Who are South Asians? Which again gives me sort of so much joy in a way that there is that breakdown a little bit, like a drop in the ocean of all right, we can talk to
1: her, you know, about things. You're providing such a service for your your small part of the world, <laughs> you know, just where just where clients can access you, and that's incredible. And that's that's essentially the next question is, you know, how has your identity helped or hindered your practice at which you essentially just answered? But is there anything else that you wanted to add to that?
2: Um, maybe one thing, I think, or a couple of things. So <laughs> um, when I first came to the U.S., this was it's 25 years ago. I still have the accent that I have. Um. I don't know, people can change their accents. I can't. And so I sound, a lot of times my kids will say, mom, you don't even sound Indian because I speak the way I speak my mother tongue. So I speak a couple of languages, but my mother tongue, which is Marathi, this is the way we speak. So it's not even your typical quote unquote Indian accent. It's much more sort of (laughs) Maharashtrian accent. So when I first came here, I was sort of a lot of times. People, you know, couldn't understand me, um, or I had to repeat what I what I, <laughs> what I had to say. And I was a teaching assistant at that time in my PhD program, and you know, it was it was tough in the sense that I didn't know how to sort of pronounce certain words the way Americans did, which even today I don't. Uh, I can't actually. I should say. Um, so at that time, when I came into therapy, or uh, when I came into counseling, that was one of my mental block is, oh my goodness, can someone really sort of understand what I'm saying, right? And if they don't, how am I going to work? What am I going to do, right? Um, but I realized actually, and even as a professor, right? I, I I mean, of course, it's a long process of growth and the insecurity of it. Um, But I realized that people do understand me, that it was really something that I needed to work on. Um, And I think now I see that as helping because a lot of times when I do speak, uh, especially mindfulness, self-compassion, people think that it's okay because I'm Indian, right? Like a lot of times that gives a lot of validity, whether I know a lot or not is a different issue, but that somehow gives validity. The second thing is um because I was, you know, I have taught gender studies in gender studies program and my PhD thesis was focused on sexuality um, and queer populations. It, it puts me in a very unique position with intersectionality of being a cisgendered, heterosexual, you know, woman who has done extensive work with race, sexuality, and gender and um, ethnicity even, that then I'm able to tap into different sort of nuances or layers that come with, you know, a lot of intersectional sort of populations, so I'm beginning to see more and more, which makes me so happy, more and more queer people of color population in my practice, Um, which excites me because a a lot of times, especially within South Asian communities, that's the hardest part, you know, because of a lot of stigma, a lot of, um, a lot of, sort of, almost backlash to sexual orientation. So, so yeah, so I think in, in a lot of ways, my identity, if I, if, you know, today I see how help, how it has helped in my work, but if you were to ask me 25 years ago, it would have been absolutely not. I don't know what I'm doing.
0: (laughs) I know you said earlier that Because you've been working from home, you've had to kind of approach your self-care a little differently. So I guess my question is, how do you approach your self-care now and how has that changed because of the pandemic?
2: Yeah, that's, again, that's such a, for me, it's such a deep question because when we talk to clients about self-care, a lot of times, you know, clients will say, yeah, I had a bubble bath and that's awesome, right? Like a bubble bath or, uh, going for a walk and i mean i i love sort of the small they're not small but like some um routine things that we are able to do but the pandemic sort of made me think a little bit deeper than sort of all right i can go for a walk which i had been you know running running is my thing i love running um which i did before the pandemic but during the pandemic a lot of times, That didn't help. It didn't help initially with the first three, four months because there was so much coming, so much coming. And I mean, again, all of us mental health therapists, we dove right head on into uh, sort of our our professional lives without really thinking about the toll that it would take on us. Um, So I started thinking a little bit deeper, uh, sort of, okay, what do I really need? And I think I came up with like a few things. So again, my mind also works in compartments a little bit. Um, So for me, it was sort of, all right, I need to take care of my mental health, my physical health, but I also need to take care of my spiritual and community-based health, right? Or communal health. I don't know how the word communal, in India it has a different context and here it, so, okay, so I'm not sure, but sort of community, right? I don't like cooking as much, but I love nutrition. So I started looking into nutrition more and more. What what does my, you know, what am I eating? What am I putting in my body for my kids and my partner? Like how are we eating? What are we doing? So I started tapping more and more into nutrition that as, as self-care, right? Um, so that was sort of something that I I, I still do. Uh, I watch a lot of (laughs) videos on different sort of brain inflammation and how, so food as medicine kind of stuff. So that became part of my self-care that I'm going to put this into my body and hopefully my kids will too. Uh, They don't most of the times because it's like kale, no. Avocado, no. So anyway, and I'm vegetarian. So a lot of time, so, so I took my time is what I'm saying in terms of what I was putting into my body. The second thing that I did in terms of physical sort of movement, right? Like running, yes, I love it. It just takes me to a different plane of existence. You know, it's so meditative for me. But then the most mundane of the mundane things I figured is self-care, which is weeding my vegetable garden which I dreaded before the pandemic. I was like, no way am I going to pull out weeds. It's just not in me. But now it has become part of my routine. So this morning before we came on, I went and took out weeds without without listening to anything on my phone. I did not have my phone for a, for an entire, I think it was hour and a half. I took pulled the weeds out and also sort of almost tilled the the soil, which so it gave me so much sort of connection with what I was doing, um, and as much as you know we don't like cleaning, I love cleaning. So vacuuming, my my daughter says, "Mom, you're obsessed with vacuum, vacuuming." Um, but our dog sheds a lot, so I figured, you know, that's also self care. So I'm going to vacuum, and when I'm vacuuming it's almost tuning out everything. So that's, that's, that's something I do regularly now. And then the third thing, honestly, for spiritual sort of health and spiritual connection, I try to meditate. Um, I don't meditate a lot, but again, sort of, you know, in and out, whether it's running, being meditative, Uh, or actual 10-minute meditation, Um, and then, like I mentioned before, sort of the most amazing self-care is going to be this conversations on mindfulness and self-compassion practices with the kids who will start coming in a cup. I I think, school ends next week, so the week after that, so I'm really looking forward to that, so to me, yes, self-care is all of this, and that's why I said it really gave me a very different perspective on what self care itself is. Right, yes, we can we can go for a short walk, yes, we can smell the flowers, but that self care to me is being connected to the earth in ways that feels Provides fulfillment and satisfaction. So, yeah. Sorry for the long-winded answer. Don't that's ever yeah. I, I, so
1: it's it's very similar to how you describe the satisfaction of following a client from you know beginning to termination. It's this just watching it grow, investing, being yeah. part of it, changing, and taking a shape to something that's going to be to have longevity that's incredible I I really got into mindful gardening gardening during the pandemic so I completely agree yeah it's 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 I think it's very important I think it's very important for anybody to just have at least one little thing where they can yeah. just have that's theirs and they can watch it grow plant child pet whatever rocks and a tumbler rocks and a tumbler yeah.
0: <laughs> whatever your hustle I was gonna. I love vacuuming too. I have this whole yeah. system of my house, and oftentimes I'll text Sarah. My best idea is like I'm vacuuming right now, so like this is why I'm yeah. texting you 500 ideas.
1: No, <laughs> oh, I dig it. That's amazing. All right, a bit of a bit of a sharp turn after that incredible <laughs> answer. Um- what is a guilty <laughs> pleasure of yours? And we mean, you know, not just ice cream, something that you do not like to share with people that you're now going to share with us and potential
2: listeners. <laughs> Buckle up. I'm going to share. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to share it with you now, you know, and <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. So my guilty pleasure is watching romantic movies from the 90s. It is so, <laughs> I love it. I love I just watched Notting Hill because it was going to go off Netflix on May, May 31st and I almost it just warms my heart I don't know why they are romantic they are not very um, you know it, it it's it's almost like it takes me back to the 90s so Notting Hill and then um, like all Julia Roberts you know movies during that time my best friend's wedding okay all right now you're, so that's my guilty pleasure and then <laughs> indian movies um there are a couple of movies one is dilwale dulhania le which is like a hopeless romantic movie from it it was released in 1995 yeah so that's what i do nobody knows that except my netflix <laughs> profile what a pleasure what an honor
1: i did see that notting hill was going up. <laughs>
2: I know, right? And now my partner is going to know too <laughs> because my profile only has romantic 90s movies.
1: <laughs> well, if you're looking for some helpless romantics, Lucifer certainly <laughs> scratches that itch in a certain way.
0: I just okay. need you two to watch it so we can talk hey, about okay, it. Okay, I'll, I'll watch, it.
1: watch it. I'll watch it. Whatever.
0: It's know. like, is it similar to Buffy? I don't know. I don't okay. Have you never, really Have watched, you never watched
1: Buffy? Oh, I mean, I did. my sister watched it. So I was like, by protest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it should sarah should we also share another of our guilty pleasures oh
1: sure oh man um can we pause for thought or do you have yeah I,
0: i'm ready to go because okay. i have so many <laughs> okay all right cool um, i'll
1: base mine off of yours again
0: i love when i get some ice cream I put peanut butter in it. So the peanut butter becomes a little bit frozen and it's so good. It's one of my favorite things. And I, I eat this ice cream right now. It's so delicious. Cashew milk uh, with snickerdoodle cookie bits in it. It's the best okay. ice cream. And, uh, it doesn't really seem like it would go well with peanut butter, but I just put it in there anyway. And it's fantastic. That
1: sounds, that sounds delicious. And <laughs> Not embarrassing, just unlike this one. Did did either of you watch Mayor of Easttown? Yes, yes I did. <laughs> okay, so. yes. This is not a guilty pleasure of mine anymore. I want to be clear. <laughs> but all of the foods that she eats <laughs> during that show, I have yeah. eaten in that combination. And I know that, I know it's just painting a parallel for working class white people. And I know that I am, I know I'm a stereotype, but I used to buy cans of Cheese Whiz. And just eat them, just just fill just fill my belly with cheese whiz. And I and I, it wasn't. I felt guilty about it, but I was not shameless about it. I had some weird <laughs> attention-seeking things going on, and I would just eat it in front of people. <laughs> so when she put the cheese whiz on that cheese puff, I mean, something reawoken in me, and um, I didn't go buy cheese whiz, but I did remember how much I enjoyed that. So there you go. Uh, now we can all feel embarrassed.
0: <laughs> um, what's your least favorite therapy phrase?
2: I think it depends, right? Like the, I've heard so many therapists and my professors uh, when I was doing my master's in counseling would say, it depends. I use it a lot, but I I really, I I don't like it at all. Um, Mostly because I, I I don't know, like it doesn't give an answer. It doesn't do anything. It's a (laughs) cop-out, I think. So yeah, so
1: I, yeah, that's my least favorite. I never even thought about that, but that is, that's probably something that I say pretty frequently.
0: No, it depends. Then I give some options that I'm not sure about. Yeah. Or maybe it's like, that's, I'm thinking right now. It depends on. Oh yeah. It's like an ellipsis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: What is your favorite therapy outfit? You asked this question as I put on a cardigan. (laughs) (laughs) Targeting,
2: targeting. (laughs) Oh. I I don't think I have any particular... I just, I I like to be comfortable in whatever I wear and hopefully presentable, Um, especially with Zoom. Just my hair needs to be okay, I feel.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think we're going to be getting that exact answer a lot. (laughs) (laughs) What is a resource you feel like everybody should know about?
2: Yeah, I think um mindful.org i think is a really wonderful resource um it has a lot of meditations um, it has a lot of resources on mindfulness um, i choose and select a lot of stuff from there um and it's really it's wonderful it's wonderful for beginners for you know advanced <laughs>
1: That's great. And we will definitely put that on our website under resources, if that is all right. Um, Anything regionally specific or mostly any resources for folks? I think,
2: I mean, women's, sorry, um, Women's Resource Center is an amazing resource for women, um, you know, who are experiencing any sort of transition whether it's through divorce, whether it's financial, whether it's um, housing, anything, right? Like they are, I mean, amazing, amazing resource, amazing people um, at the resource center. They don't give up at all. Keep trying, keep providing. So yeah, thank you for asking me that again, because yes, absolutely. Amazing, amazing organization.
1: Can you remember the last time you thought, wow, I really needed to hear that? And what was it?
2: Yeah, I think um bang in the middle of the pandemic, when you know, at that point I was taking on whoever wanted counseling. It was like the resource center was sending people in my private practice and In the, I think around last year, around August, September, I I just thought, you know what, this, I mean, I have to do my best. I'm not doing my best, you know, did not use any self-compassion practices that I was used to. It was just go, 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 go. And my partner said, hey, you know what, you need to slow down. You need to take time for yourself. You just need to sort of take a moment, take a deep breath and you need to spend time sort of with the family and also sort of just take some time. There's no rush, there's no, we don't have to get to this place Um, in your mind, whatever it is. I said, no, but my clients need help. They need, you know, and he said, well, they'll still be there. You can still work with them, just slow down. And I think that was an absolute <clears throat> something that i needed to hear um and thankfully i did rujita what is
0: your favorite breakfast
2: okay so my favorite breakfast it's waffles um american and indian it's something called sabudana which is i don't know how to pronounce it it's topacio or topacio. i don't know how to pronounce it i, but, can, I know i can't yeah. even
0: uh What is it?
2: Tapioca. Tapioca. Yeah. Thank you. See how bad I am at pronunciations. (laughs) Um, yeah. So that so we make it like an Indian style. So yeah. That sounds really good. Yeah.
1: All right. Final and most important question. And Joanna will judge you heavily based off (laughs) what (laughs) you're no cheating. (laughs) If you could have a superpower, what would it be
2: and why? so I, I don't aspire for a superpower. I think I have one. Um, and I, I think I have two superpowers now. That's just, that's (laughs) self-compassion right there, right? Like, yeah, I think one is being kind. I think that's one of the things that we don't see in the world. Um, And I realized that not through just being vain about it, but my son actually, you know, on on Mother's Day when he was in elementary school, they do like a Mother's Day card. And so when he brought that back home, the top five things he loved about me, um, one was I sleep in late, which I don't by the way, but okay. But the other thing, the second thing he had written was, that my mom is the kindest person, that she talks to me. And I thought, oh my God. Yeah, like it just, I I took a picture of it and I sent it to my own mom (laughs) and she was like, yes, you are. So she validated that as well. So that's one. And the other thing I think is being calm in stressful situations. And so I I, I don't know whether I'm calm, like, I, I, I don't know how and why I'm calm, but usually my I I I'm calm and I can make decisions. Um not from a place of fear mostly, but you know, I'm able to sort of be in the moment, I hope, most of the times. So I, I won't say all the time, so I think those are two of my superpowers. Okay, no judgment here about the <laughs> I don't
0: think you can. <laughs> Rajuja
1: like daring you to correct her
0: <laughs> it the teleportation. It's almost like you heard our first episode <laughs> and you knew <laughs> uh, That awesome. I was heavily teleportation camp Of uh, <laughs> wanting a superpower <laughs> But for me it's teleportation <laughs> That would be awesome
1: and mine is not giving an answer during this question because now I feel. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god.
0: All right, here's our final would you rather question. They sometimes okay. are very silly. Would you rather I love wear that. yeah. <laughs> would you rather wear a pair of rubber gloves all day long or go barefoot all day long?
2: Barefoot. For sure. It on would the be, grass. Yeah, it
1: would be
0: barefoot for me.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering why those were two why the writer <laughs> thought those were two very equal inconveniences. I,
0: I have heard people say they would rather <laughs> wear the rubber gloves. I would do uh, most things than wear rubber gloves. I hate them. Yeah, they never worked in healthcare or shopped during a pandemic or
2: <laughs> or ran, you know, barefoot, um, sort of in an open oh yeah. Lawn or something like a forest, I would totally do that.
1: 100. I mean, I love being barefoot. Yeah, not wearing ago. shoes right now.
0: Yeah, <laughs> now, if you take my socks. That's another story. But I guess that is barefoot. <laughs> I don't know. I guess as socks considered barefoot. I guess not. No, I don't know.
2: It's like saying
1: you're wearing a shirt, but you're naked. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Good lord. Lord. I will thank you so much, Rajuta. This has been an amazing uh, time talking to you, and your answers are so mindful and beautiful
2: and deep. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I had a wonderful time giggling and laughing and being silly. (laughs) That's
1: a brand for us three, I think. I like
2: that. I'm a giggler.
1: And we'll be right back after the break. And welcome back to our favorite part of the show, the Thera story, where we share a funny, ridiculous story that you as a client had in therapy or with a healthcare professional. As we do not have floods of emails coming in from listeners yet, we are sharing our own stories with healthcare professionals. And I will start with mine. I was in college and I worked at an event and had to wear a t-shirt that had been unwashed. So I had a reaction on my skin to it, which in hindsight was very clearly an allergic reaction. I went to a very conservative Christian college. So I went to, not for this reason that I went to the doctor, but I needed to go to the doctor. And it's important that you know, it was a conservative Christian college because this doctor looked up on WebMD in front of me, what causes rashes? And he asked me how many sexual partners I had had in the month, and I told him, and since he did not have a lot of patients telling him that he had sexually active partners, he then convinced me that I had a sexually transmitted disease. No judgment, obviously, to people that have them, but if you are told that you have one with no reason to think that you would have one, it is scary, Um, especially when you are 18 and have literally no education about sexually transmitted diseases. Uh, I didn't. He made me do a full panel drug uh, full panel S C D test. I did not. I did not have any thankfully. And yeah, it was just a rash, <laughs> just a rash from the Thank t- goodness that this that this slut shaming <laughs> doctor um guess let me essentially into thinking that I had a whole whole bouquet. <laughs> Yikes. Right, yeah, it was not cool.
0: My third story is from a time that I was taking the bus to therapy after work. And I will say I hated this bus ride. It was the number 40. If you're in Philadelphia, it is terrible. Uh, It's always super full and it stops at every street on South Street and I don't like it. And so I was on the bus and a guy kind of like cut me off to get off the bus. And that just really pissed me off. And I got angrier and angrier. As I walked to the, my therapy appointment, I was angry throughout the therapy appointment. And it turned out to be a great breakthrough because my therapist was like, you've been angry for 40 minutes. Like what's going on? And I was like, Oh, Oh, okay. (laughs) That's not good. I wonder where you were taking the bus from. (laughs) Is that a question?
1: Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) to be fair it wasn't but it was okay phrase it as a question but it was
0: do you want to ask it again i don't know i liked that
1: little interaction (laughs) wait were you coming from work did you say yes i was coming Uh, from work okay then (laughs) so (laughs) you were already at a 10 probably oh
0: yeah Yep.
1: all right we did good that was good we did good (laughs) thank you for listening to the show be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. You can check us out on Instagram at Therapist Next Door on Twitter or on Twitter at TherapistNDPod, all one word, or visit our website at
0: tndpodcast.com. If you have the future ability to listen to ad-free episodes, the ability to vote on what questions we ask our guests and so much more like a essay about how much I hate the number 40 bus head on over to our patreon at <laughs> patreon.com tndpodcast tnd podcast if you want to submit your thera story which is a funny or ridiculous story that you as a client had in therapy for us to read on the show email it to therapists that's plural at nextdoor at gmail.com that's therapists nextdoor at gmail.com until next time we are your, are your th-
1: therapist <laughs> next door. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Stupid.